Have I told you guys my Cutco story? You know Cutco, the the knives. Yes. I mean, I remember. I remember guys like in my grade and like middle school selling them at school. Yeah, people were like obsessed with that. Yeah, I totally got lured into like I went to one session of a cut. I was like in college and I was like trying to make money. And I went to one session and I was like <laughs> about 30 minutes in, I was like, oh. <laughs> Welcome to the Poets Salon, a podcast where we talk to poets over a drink we prepared especially for them. I'm Duji Tahat. I'm Luther. Where is my glass of wine, Hughes? And I'm Gabrielle Bates. Last week, we kibitzed with the Ada Limon about collaboration, curiosity, and correspondence. For this episode, we marveled and warbled about the poem... Requiem for a Nest by Wanda Coleman. Let us serenely and delusionally get into it. Requiem for a Nest by Wanda Coleman. The winged thing built her dream palace amid the fine green eyes of a sheltering bough. She did not know it was urban turf, disguised as serenely, delusionally rural. Nor did she know the neighborhood was rife with slant mawed felines and those long taloned swoopers of prey. She was ignorant of the acidity and oil that slowly polluted the earth and was never to detect the serpent coiled one strong limb below. Following her nature, she flitted and dove for whatever blades, twigs, and muds could be found under the humming blue and created a hatchery for her spawn, not knowing all were doomed. Can, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about why you chose this poem for us today? Yeah, a cheery poem for today. Just to lift the mood, obviously, yes. Clearly, I just wanted to leave you with a really joyful um, poem. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I love about Wanda Coleman is that uh, she's a poet of many registers. Um, and I do think she's primarily known for her political poems and, you know, poems that were performed in a sort of loud and, and, and marvelous way of strength and power. And I think this poem is so full of grief and, but also a muscularity of language. The musicality of this is so distinct and rich and there are is really a friction against this sort of idea of being doomed. Mm. But there is some hope in this poem too, because it's basically saying she's going to do it anyway. <laughs> and I feel like so much of our lives are saying, we're going to do it anyway. Like we have to acknowledge our death and we also have to keep going. And that is this poem. And so 
I, I don't know. This one has always just sort of uh, rocked me in, in different ways. I think that I come to it sometimes um, where it actually sort of hurts. And then times where I think, no, this is actually a poem of deep recognition of the grace that is surrender to the world. Mm. Um, how much we know and how much we don't know, right? The bird not knowing certain things, not knowing that the neighborhood was rife with slant mod felines. I love that slant mod felines, right? The mouths and the lo those long taloned swoopers of prey. What a great way to describe a hawk. Mm -hmm. I have a backyard bird feeder and I, I actually yell hawk if I see one just to make sure that birds are okay. I yell hawk. <laughs> I really probably should not interrupt with nature, interfere with nature in that way. And yet I'm very protective of my birds. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had come up with the phrase, those long talon swoopers of prey. And then this, this wonderful, she was ignorant of the acidity and oil that slowly polluted the earth and how the poem gets really large right there. Like it starts so small. You start with like, I'm, you know, I'm building a nest. You know, the fine green eyes of a sheltering bough. She did not know these things, right? The urban turf. And I also love this urban turf disguised as serenely, delusionally rural, mm -hmm. which is such an amazing phrase to me, the power of that phrase. And also the implication of that phrase because of the word delusional and the way that it's right next to serene right that this is it's becomes like this is a mirage this is a trick this is the, you know this is a, a false comfort um and i think also with the word rural and even with the word delusionally we do get more of a human feel so yes we are in the bird's life but also we are in a person's life mm -hmm. And I don't think you would have that if you don't get that sense of the rural or delusionally rural. Um, and then also it's a sonnet. And that shift, when you have the turn and the, the shift and suddenly it's like following her nature, she flitted and dove for whatever blades, twigs and mud could be found under the humming blue and created a hatchery for her spawn, not knowing all were doomed. I mean, that to me is, you know, just a perfect stanza and the perfect end to a sonnet. The sounds, the way that she's making those perfect rhymes with blue and doomed. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a, there's a brilliance to the fact that this life is happening and that you're watching it happen. And also a surrender to the reality of violence, the reality of mortality. I mean, she even brings in redlining here in, with, you know, traditionally black and Latinx neighborhoods. You have, she was ignorant of the acidity and oil that slowly polluted the earth. And if you talk about environmental toxins and pollutions, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's an incredibly politically charged poem, but it's doing it in such a uh, different way than some of her other work is doing. And it just has always, I guess gutted me is the right phrase for this poem. Yeah. Hey, did you guys know this poem before or you probably did, but no. I did not. I, I really love like 
the turn and the break and like the music of it. I, I'm I'm really interested in like how the sort of long vowel sounds, the L's, the R's, the S's and the F's in that first stanza, like really sort of slow us while we're in the realm of like the human architecture, right? Mm-hmm. Like like all of the nature within that, all of that and the slowing down and taking time of like looking um, at these sort of uh, more, you know, nature-ish elements within like the context of like very human urban setting. Yes. And then the break from that to where the sounds, you know, they get really fast, right? The Fs, the Ns, the Ms, you know, the Hs, it gets like really breathy and faster. And and that stanza is like almost devoid of like, human architecture right it's like it's like the stuff within it it is like purely like what is natural right it is yeah. purely what the bird will do like irrespective of like whatever context is happening it's um, like yeah and it begins right following her nature which is like basically back right. to instinct yeah back to instinct for survival this is where we're going to end this poem and it's like you, you even feel it the wind up is coming like following her nature yeah mm-hmm. yeah i there's something about in addition to everything I said before, there's also, um, I've talked about this before and I, I, I don't know where, but you know, at some point, as you guys know, as poets, you just end up like, I think I said that sometime or did someone else? <laughs> I think I said that. Uh, but I, that I, I love the, um, the lean towards clarity that we have in our contemporary work right now. And I really admire it because there's such an urgency and truth telling that's happening in some of the books that I just love. Um, But I do think that there is part of me that is always looking for the music. And I, I, I sometimes worry that in our need for clarity and truth, we will lose our Um, desire for the beauty of language, even if what that beauty, right, or what that language is saying is horrible. And I think this is a good example of that, Mm. where it's like, oh, I'm not, I don't need to be saying beautiful things in order to make a beautiful poem. Mm -hmm. Like this poem is lush with beauty. And yet it is true and tragic. And I feel like that's sometimes, like, uh, you know, when I talk to graduate students, I feel like that's a shift sometimes where they want to just talk directly to the trauma. And I admire that so much. But I think don't forget the music. Don't forget that this, there's this other friction of beauty. What is, it get, what is pushing against the trauma, right? And in this case, it's survival. But even as she gives language to this event, there is like that musicality is really on fire and also um, in conflict with the message in some ways, because it's, there's a lushness to it. There's an abundance to it. Uh, And that part I find, I think is another reason I'm really drawn to this poem because I don't want to lose that. I want to, I always want to be clear, but I also value language and the music uh, so much so that uh, I never ever want to lose it. And this poem feels like it's just doing that. Lush is exactly the word that I kept thinking of. Like the music in this poem is so lush and dense. It almost reminds me of like a Gerard Manley Hopkins or something. It's just like the noise is 
it's beautiful. It's like, this is the language someone uses when they're in love with the world. Mm -hmm. And it is the dream palace that's Mm -hmm. mentioned in the first line. Like this is the, the dense, overwhelming sort of beauty that makes the despair so felt, you know? And, and there is something almost like in the density of it, in the, the thickness of the music of this poem, I feel trapped in a way that I think this bird is. Like there's a miring sort of effect to the music too. So it's not all beautiful, of course. Um, there, it's also like I can feel it holding me um, mm-hmm. in good ways and bad ways as I read this poem. And I'm so fascinated by the sort of turn that this sonnet has because I don't often see a turn in a sonnet sort of giving us a synopsis of what came before the way this one does. Like it essentially does like a, like a recap of the, the movement that came before. It like starts again. It's like, yeah, she, she did this thing even though all of this. It's basically like two versions of the same poem set side by side like a diptych or something yeah and I I love that I love that point I feel like there's it's also because it is a poem that continues forever right like it ends as it begins because it is the cycle of life so the only way the poem can end is the only way it could begin which is building the nest (laughs) right and then also that the nest will be be harmed and that also another nest will be made. Like, I think that that is also, it's, it's, it's moving in a uh, perpetual way. Um, yeah. There's also this part of this poem that feels very interesting, which is there's, there, there almost feels like a judgment in the beginning, which is that sort of idea of like her dream palace. Like, like there's almost a little bit of, uh, tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, she was so naive, right? But then by the end, there's a complete forgiveness of that, and that tone is completely gone, and it's just like following her nature. She flitted and dove, right? Like, and it, there's such a beautiful, uh, non-judgmental way of looking at what that is. Um, and that the, the, it's instead of like looking at the, even the word ignorant or, you know, any of those uh, like ignorant of the acidity and oil or like she was never uh, to detect the serpent coiled one strong limb below, right? All of these things that are waiting this danger. And there seems like there's almost a judgment of like, how could you? And then at the end, it's just almost like, we're going to go back to beauty. Like she did this thing. She still did this thing even knowing or not knowing right yeah like like with that i'm thinking a lot about this um in response to what you're saying ada and what gabby what you said it's like the the beginning of of the poem is so uh, um obsessed with like delusion right delusion and like the idea of um the skies and all these things um and there's only one period in the poem, right? And the delusion is capped there, right? It's like stuck there. Like it's, it's like the delusion can no longer 
move like that's not moving anywhere but then the the she was ignorant that falls into the idea of making right like to make is to be ignorant because you want to go in with the idea of not knowing and that allows a certain type of creation and so like it's interesting that the delusion is capped and separate from the ignorance and the making of it. and i think that's that's also what's so beautiful about the poem right the idea of separating okay you can be delusional because delusional is not you have an idea but you're still delusioned by it but your ignorance is not really tied to a knowing right it's, it's tied to the to not know and so the idea to make something right to build this nest is more tied to your ignorance versus tied to your delusion of something right and so i like how the i like how it's captive and it's separate right I like, I like how it's kept and separate like it's like it's like following her ignorance she still was able to create this thing in lieu of being all doomed right in lieu of that in lieu of an ending right she was still able to create something beautiful and i i i love that that ordering and that 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 parsing out really, really a lot. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And there's something about it. I think that's also what I meant about that sort of the judgment goes away is because it's there in the beginning, right? Even we've got dream palace and the fine green eyes of a sheltering, you know, like all of this, like she did not know. And then even that, and then, okay, disguised as serenely delusionally rural, which is amazing to say. I, I highly recommend reading that line. Um, disguised as serenely delusionally rural, nor did she know all these things, right? And then we get to, she didn't know about this. She didn't know about this. And it becomes like almost a forgiveness mm -hmm. and a grace that she allows the animal. In our previous conversation, we were talking a bit about how much we love the particularity of naming creatures. And just, I wanted to offer as like a delicious counterpoint to that, how amazing it is to encounter the phrase, the winged thang in this poem, as opposed yes. to the name of a particular bird. And um, yeah, for those at home, it is T-H-A-N-G. And just, yeah, how that allows this poem, it's not that a particular named bird couldn't serve as like a stand-in for a self or that like we wouldn't read it then as um, a, a self-portrait of sorts or a commentary on humanity, but there is something in the way she's chosen to describe this bird that invites me more readily to, to read it as a, a human story. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's a real that that I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that that from the very first line there is a level in which there is a word here that is the winged thing that shifts how we think about everything, and so the context then becomes we are going to have a bird that has been named in language that may not necessarily have the same language as dream palace, fine green eyes of sheltery bow, right? All of these, there's a sort of a level of, of which sort of the unnamed and yet named thing comes into language that could be seen as primarily used from white poets, right? Or you've got like sort of the bow from Ezra Pound or you have, right? Like you have this sort of, look that does feel like this lushness and yet it is undercut and almost you know complete like she's showing us that she knows what she's doing from that very third word of it which is thing mm -hmm. right like 
this is me or this is who I want to be speaking of. And it's also who my audience is and who I want to be talking to. Right. Mm-hmm. Robert Haas said something, the most like remarkable thing the other day, which was like, you know, who you are writing for says everything about your politics of your poems. And I think Wanda Coleman knew that more than anyone, which was, this is, you know, she's, she's playing with how these two languages come together and also that they're not separate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's natural. It's not, she's not calling it out. Yeah. And, and winged thing is as natural as saying those long taloned swoopers of prey. Or a requiem for a nest, right? Yes. Like it's, it's immediate. Like that register shift is like from jump, right? Yeah. And it's also that wonderful thing of owning all the words. Like I'm, I'm going to own all the language here, which is the neighborhood of the poem will expand because, you know, there's, there's a rebelliousness to that, right? Like I am going to expand the neighborhood of this poem just by all the language that I want to use and have access to and will call my own. And that part is really fascinating to me. It's Yeah, it's so, it's almost like cheeky in a way. It's like, she's like, she, this poem reminds me a lot about Phyllis Wheatley's poem, right? And how she like wrote in the oh, language, totally. in, the, in the register of like, you know, her owners, but then like, like drag them in the same poem. It's mm-hmm. like, and it's, it's, it's the same thing happening here. It's like Requiem for a Nest, you're like, okay okay this is going to be one of those poems right it's like the wing thing it's like wait what where how do we dream palace okay so she's she's dragging mm-hmm. she, she's literally saying like i can do all things like and you can't do this right because if it was another po- poem it would be like you know the dove or the crow or the blue jay you know and the dream, it, it would be so so high registered and it's like but the wing thing does so much more work than if it was the blue jay right because like it's, it's 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 commenting on the idea of delusion and ignorance from white poets while also saying, you know, I'm also a little delusion and ignorant, but because I'm ignorant and delusional compared to you, you would think I can still make this thing, right? So it's it's very, very cheeky and very like, girl, I can do this, you can't do this, but I can do this. And I'm sorry that you can't, but guess what's gonna happen? <laughs> I'm gonna right. make this great thing and you're gonna love it. And it, and also it's a sonnet, right? And so like doing all those things and like playing with all those type of uh quote unquote politics, like without even without, without even like really talking about those politics. Like it's wonderful. Genius. That's, that's exactly how I feel. I love that you said all that because I feel like there's this part of me that feels like one of the reasons this poem kind of sneaks up on you is that you also realize that she's kind of teaching you a lesson. Mm-hmm. And then there becomes this ars poetica element to the poem, which is the nest building is the poem making. You know, that like, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this and I am the bird. And yet I know, you know, I'm going to tell it, like, I may not know the snake is underneath me and I may not know this and I may not know this, but I am going to do this. And even with the, even though there's a doomed at the end and the acknowledgement of that pain, there still is this sort of like, again, that repetition that it feels like it's going to go backward again. Like we're going to go, this is going to be a continual circle. Yeah. It feels so much like seduction. Like it feels like, you know, like not just in like the richness of language, but like to your to your point, Ada, like I feel like I, you know, I'm being pulled into it. And like it also is like so aware of I mean from jump because like it's about the nest and like sort of the container of that too. Like with that period at the beginning and then like not allowing the like next sentence to end, right? To sort of like open up and like return back to. So it's like I like 
seduction as like being toyed with, right? <laughs> in the way that is like, I'm pulling you in and also like stopping you and I'm pulling you in and I'm stopping you. Yeah. Well, even the choice of having, you know, all lowercase, right? Yeah. I mean, that like, she's basically like insisting on a register of musicality that is so idiosyncratic to her and this particular poem that it just feels like this poem can't belong to anyone else. And I love that. And I, you know, most poems that I love it are because they are so idiosyncratic to the poet that you think, I know Jericho Brown wrote this and I love it. <laughs> right? Like that's that kind of that you, where you lean in, you know that this is the case and that, that this has that feel. I also I just, wanted to praise, oh, go ahead. No, no, I can talk forever. Please talk. <laughs> I was just going to say, I just want to praise again um, how the poem ends because it, th there is sort of a deep sadness to it. Um, and a recognition, of course, of that, that doomedness um, of humanity. And I think it is bigger than the self-portrait. I think it is bigger than the poet here. Um, and I think it recognizes it recognizes, you know, the great mortality that we all will all go through. Um, although, unless you're my grandmother, who will, will often say, "If I ever die," which I think is so marvelous, <laughs> I'm like, it's amazing. She'd be like, "If I ever die," I'm like, "Well, I mean, that's gonna happen." Like, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> um, so. But I do feel like the ending here has this sort of like um, knowing all we're doomed and it's about the children, right? It is about like the, the, the spawn. Um, and there is that rebellion of like, I'm going to do this despite, despite this, even though we have the unknowing. Uh, but I just wanted to praise for a moment the whatever blades, twigs, and mud could be found under the humming blue and the word humming there feels so extraordinary because there are so many different ways I take it. And one of which is I think about in urban neighborhoods and even suburban neighborhoods, there's, um, if you are close to wires, right? If you're close to like, there's an actual like power plants, like that idea of like, what is like, it, there's an actual noise happening. You can hear it. Um, but then there's also the song quality of that, which is phenomenal. So that word humming just does so much work there. There's a lullaby happening, like the, like, you know, there's a hush to that word. Uh, it is, it, it does all that work of serenely delusionally rural, <laughs> you know, in that beautiful under the humming blue. I just find that phrase amazing. Mm. Yes, thank you for pointing that one out. Under the humming, yeah, those U sounds, the repetition, the idea of music, but also menace. It's, yeah, it's doing so much that the whole poem is doing, but right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was um, also going to praise the, uh, the ending as well. Um, and talk about like how you said, Ada, like there's such a, while it's, while it's like highlighting, you know, mortality, there's, there's also a sense of like, um, care and um, hopefulness for the future and for her, right? For the birds spawn, right? That is kind of, it's not really talked about, but the way it's positioned at the end of the poem while it's announcing a doomedness, there's still like a, a level of like, 
but still and yet like you know like a my kids will go on and they will make and there's a there's like a it doesn't descend it ascend right and it's and i love that 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 move while it's not again not announcing the hopefulness but 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 because it's announcing the doomedness, hope, hopefulness is there somewhere, right? You, can, you can't have one without the other, right? Like, we're hopeful in spite of being doomed, right? And so, like, I, I just love that that move to, like, we're doomed, but also, like, my kids will fly and create their own nests and have their own requiems and their dream palace. And all these things are still kind of there. Like, even that's, like, it's, like, that's humming right and that's under the humming blue itself right like so it's all that is captivated right it's captive in the idea of doomed i'm quoting doomness people yeah. for, for listening yeah. and thinking about the continuation too i think that like that puts a, a finger on the thing i'm thinking about um you know Eddie, you're talking about like the sort of self-awareness of it all like for me i the she did not know nor did she know like feels really reminiscent of like another sonnet, the Those Wintry Sunday sonnet. And like, uh, like this feels like thinking of it as a continuation, like a kind of conversation of like with Robert Hayden, right? Like a like formal uh, tradition, like continuation. Um, and again, like even accepting like this sort of two parts of the poem, the like architecture, like the human architecture, like thinking through form, like in that first stanza, and then like sort of the natural stuff that happens sort of irrespective of it, even if that natural stuff is occurring under the humming, which like may be like <laughs> evocative of that like architecture anyway, like it just feels so yeah, it just like it knows what it's doing. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it 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 very much. I mean, this is this is a this is a poet who is gifted. Like the you know, I mean, she is of course. But this is why I wanted to bring it up because I feel like there's you know, most people will talk about her poems that are very um, again, they're louder poems. They're public poems, and this is a public poem, but set in a private voice. And there's an intimacy of this voice that feels, I don't know. Like again, it's 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 highly intelligent in the way that it's working on the page. And I know that Wanda Coleman is praised for that, but I don't see it as much. I feel like it's more her performative poems that seem to get maybe more anthologized. Mm -hmm. But uh, this poem to me is like, oh yeah, you're genius. Um, and, you know, and to go back to what Luther was saying a little bit is that idea of not knowing all we're doomed there's that ending of like okay yes that's tragic like oh wow they're all gonna die but then there's this other part of you that thinks but no but we're still in the middle of it because she doesn't say and they were all doomed right or and they all died but it's saying it's still in the action of it which is still building the nest it is still making the thing and created a hatchery for a spawn, not knowing all were doomed. So there's still the caretaking and the making taking place. And I think because it's happening and not, it's not, it hasn't ended, that even though we end with the word doomed, there's still some part of you that feels like, no, but wait, I think, I think someone made it, you know, <laughs> it allows for that. I don't know. I don't want to say ambiguous, but sort of maybe that, that, um, that clinging string of hope that um, that we may have, despite that pretty uh, intense ending, with that great rhyme, right? 
I love to like thinking about performance maybe like within in the in this poem like the the and, and I mean thinking about like the conversation with Robert Hayden too and the way that like that poem is like obviously about the speaker's relationship to the father and not knowing and here is like the bird doing something for like not knowing and then doing something for their like offspring <laughs> that they will sort of continue on and at the same time like Wanda is like maybe also like the continuation extension of like Hayden in the tradition, mm -hmm. right? And so like, there's just all these layers of like what you take on and, and like that, that she's able to sort of like perform like all of these different continuations, like using this sort of like bird as, as like an allegory almost is like, yeah, I don't know. My mind is just spinning sort of thinking through. No, I mean, it. that's, I feel, I think you're exactly right. And I think, I mean, I mean, just on allegorical level, even I mean, we have the serpent, <laughs> you know, I mean, we can't not talk about the serpent, right? To, you know, uh, and was never to detect the serpent coiled one strong limb below. Right. Which of course means the serpent is always going to be there because the limb is strong. Right. And it is lifting that serpent. It's not going to fall. Right. So there's like, I mean, you've got, you've got really the epitome of temptation and sin and, and, and evilness, you know, all there from that original, you know, the original catastrophe is, as they would say. So I feel like that's, um, that, I mean, that again, it goes back to your point of um, the allegorical quality of it. I mean, yeah, in a previous conversation we were discussing, right, you know, collaboration with ancestors in a way, right? And so I think Wanda Coleman is doing that here with the with Robert Hayden, of course, with the the the, the serpent and the snake tied to Christianity and, and biblical things. And we also like you just have all of these, yeah, even the requiem ties it back to like this idea of what poetry is to sound like. It's a way we have all these connectedness to different ancestors and different people that is really, really beautiful. And even again, the bird being its own symbol for many, many things, right? And the nest itself being a symbol for many, many things. And so like there's so so many ties and maps that this poem is laying out for us that that we 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 don't necessarily get. We're getting now because we're digging into it, right? But reading it on first glance, we're not gonna think. Robert Hayden, of course, no and not knowing, right? We're not going to get, okay, we're going to get the serpent probably because the serpent is such a big thing, but we're not going to tie that immediately, right, to uh, to the center focus of the poem, right? But because it's so, uh, it's so masterfully done, it is there, right? It's, yeah, she, this is genius. It's a genius poem from a genius so poet. You can definitely see, you know, why, why Terrence Hayes loves her so much and why, you know, you can see his, uh, the influence of her on his work especially with the sound work and the musicality and that surrender to sonics and letting them sort of take you some places like that. And also that, that sort of political without overt political, without the polemic, but still, still there completely. I mean, even in the words of like what the bird is picking up, right. Following her nature, she flitted and dove for whatever blades. So she doesn't even say blades of grass, right. It's just blades. So that, I mean, that in and of itself has like a, an idea of violence. It has an idea of protection. It has an idea of a, a scrappiness, right? Like it's like, I'm, gonna, I'm not just gonna pick up blades of grass, I'm picking up blades, you know? Blades, twigs, and mud, I mean, could be found under the humming blue. I, that, yeah, I, I, I find it so fascinating that 
um, she could, I mean, again, I mean, this is why we love poetry, right? The compression of these sounds, all of these things that are happening together make for a poem we could talk about forever. Like even as we, we were talking about the, the U sounds um, and they, they start really soon with the turf and rural, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it's throughout, there's such, the musicality is just so high here. I think before we end, we should all go around and say serenely, delusionally rural. Serenely, delusionally, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, no, you, gotta do that. you have to do the whole line. Disguised as serenely, delusionally rural. Disguised as serenely, delusionally rural. Ugh. Rural is already like such a like... Rural, yeah. But at the end of all of that is so like she's playing, right? She's like absolutely playing with you. Yeah. Disguised as serenely, delusionally rural. Woo! Serenely, delusionally. How dare she? I know, right? <laughs> How dare she? Disguised as serenely, delusionally rural. Mm-hmm. And then to go, and then to go, nor okay. First of all, <laughs> first of all, we got this luscious line. And then you go, nor oh, who yeah. just throws in, who throws in nor in the, in the poem? Yeah. Just nor, yeah. just sprinkle it in. Nor did she know. And then again, you've got all these great alliterations. Nor did she know the neighborhood mm. was rife. Even the word rife was slant mod felines and those long taloned swoopers of prey. Uh, and the word slant, like, then have to have slant in the poem, and then to have slant rhyme. Just like, yeah, like, okay. And then, and then, and then Dickinson, Dickinson, right? Tell it slant, yep. <laughs> it's all there. It's and all slant here. mod, it's like, what is they? So they're like kind of crooked mouth, crooked teeth, right? Like, they're that like, is, that phrase is amazing. Yeah. Slant mod. Slant mod. Felines. Then you have the Chester cat. You, you just have so much happening, just coming, coming to. We gotta stop. We gotta. We gotta stop. We gotta. We gotta <laughs> we put a period. Go I could I, go on I'm forever. We could go on forever. This poem. This poem does that. Ada, thank you so much for your benevolence and for your unflinching brilliance. To our listeners, both new and committed, thank you. And we hope you're as excited for season three as we are. And let me tell y'all, we are. We are. We We are. We are. And if you haven't yet, and if you haven't yet, I don't know why not, talking to you, our committed listeners, rate us five lovely stars on whatever platform you're currently using to tune in. And follow us on Twitter at Poet Salon Pod and and send along your questions, pics of your favorite plant, and an audio recording of someone humming. Send all that 
to the Poet Salon Pod at gmail.com. You wanna weaponize this? Gonna show you these hands, gonna take on these streets, gonna show you who's man's, cause my crew mob steady, Feddy and spaghetti, Feddy and spaghetti, Feddy and the I love that we just picked up on the theme of like birding. <laughs> Warbling, humming, yes. trees. Just uh, send us a nest. <laughs> no. Send us a, 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 a nest in the mail. It's a bird theme. <laughs>